We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joining us always my co-host, Nick Filato. Today, although the loss was very sobering, I didn't have any alcohol or anything else, any other extracurricular, so I'm sober. After this loss, so it won't be like last week, Thursday Night Football against Washington. There will be no guest appearance from my brother, Matt Schneier, though I do appreciate, and I know he for sure even more so appreciates all the people who reached out today on Twitter and asked for another appearance from Matt, uh, another angry, drunken appearance from him. He's sober, too. I just spoke with him about the Giants. I mean, it's to the point, Nick, where, and I know this is true for most Giants fans who don't do what we do, Nick, which is cover the team, do podcasts on the team, break down all 22. Because once you do all the stuff that we're doing and providing content, it does take a lot of the fanhood out of it. In my opinion, and I'm sure, I, I know you feel the same, Nick. We've talked about this countless times off pod. But since I started covering the team, I've become a lot less of a fan. It's just, it's a fact of the matter. I think of wins and losses very differently. I think of them in a very business sense. I know for a fact, because I tracked all the analytics, that when the Giants were 10 in, or 11-5 in 2016, I got five times the engagement on all my content for 24-7 sports, five times the page views, five times the uh, you know the time spent on the site. So winning does bring in a lot more fans, and it's tough when they're losing this often. But for people like my brother, and I'm sure we're going to he's, – he's, the point I'm trying to make is that I'm sure a lot of fans feel this way, Nick, because I know he feels this way. They're numb to it right now. He's numb to this loss. He wasn't outraged. He wasn't mad. 
He's just numb to it. And our group text said it all. My dad's numb to it. My mom was at the game. She had a great time because she's not really focused on the wins and losses. She was so happy to be there for Eli Manning Day with the crowd, with the East. She loves Eli. So, you know, and, and my mom and dad, they went to the game today. It, they said they had a great time. The crowd was awesome for the Eli uh, ceremony. Obviously, John Mara got booed. That was a that was something that I thought was interesting. But He's numb to it, and I'm sure a lot of fans are numb to it too, but we're here anyway because we want to provide some clarity. We want to, at worst, me and Nick want to be a way for you guys to kind of, not vent, we're the ones venting, but for you guys to kind of like air your frustrations by listening to us, reaching out to us, engaging with us, like something therapeutic almost, but we're still going to break down all the film on this team because no matter what happens with this season at 0-3, this is the roster for the foreseeable future. The Giants have pushed their chips into the table this past offseason, a Dory Jackson contract. They're not getting out of that anytime soon. Logan Ryan contract. They're not getting out of that anytime soon. Sterling Shepard contract. Not getting out of that anytime soon. Leonard Williams. Not getting out of that anytime soon. There's a lot of contracts that are stapled to this roster right now. So this is the core, and we have to evaluate this core, and we have to hope that this core plays well, even though the wins are not coming with the losses. So that's my first takeaway from today. Let's try to break this down, take a deep breath, and think about this more individually rather than as a whole. But at the same time, Nick, I kind of want to get your take on what's happening right now with this team as far as the wins and losses go. Because they're 0-3. They've lost to Heineke, who looked terrible today against the Bills, absolutely terrible against the Bills. They've lost to the Falcons, who I think are going to be one of the worst teams in the NFL. No one's doubting that. The Falcons are unlikely to win many more football games this year besides this giant game. And they lost to the Broncos, who look pretty good, but obviously are not are no Chiefs. And they not only they lose to the Broncos, they lost by multiple scores. So what do you think's happening with this team losing so many close games and just overall going to 0-3? I don't think they're a good football team, Dan, for one. And secondly, I feel like the defense have let opportunities just slip through their their grasps on a couple different occasions. And I say that while acknowledging that this defense forced so many punts and kept this offense in the game, but your offense is coordinated, Dan. By Jason Garrett. That's that's the end of the day. It's still a Jason Garrett coached offense right now. The offense putting up 14 points, Dan. 14 freaking points against a team that allowed, what, 80 in the last two games or something absolutely crazy? The Falcons are not a good defense. And I understand the fact that Darius Slayton got injured. I understand that Sterling Shepard got injured. Blake Martinez got injured for the defense. All of that is terrible. And I hope all three of them are back because they're all good quality players. But at the end of the day, you couldn't move the football. And when you did move the football, you couldn't punch it into the end zone. And that is the same problem that they had in 2020. It's the same problem that they had early on in 2021. They're an inefficient offense and they shoot themselves in the foot. False start penalty here, holding penalty here, take a sack, bad snap, name it. It happens to this offense. Bad teams put themselves into bad situations, and the Giants offense continually puts themselves into a bad situation after mounting a promising drive. How many times, Dan, can they do this to us? How many times can they drive down the field, put themselves into a position where it's like first and 10 on like 12-yard line so you could still pick up a first down, and then you still don't come away with a touchdown, and you actually end up in like a third and 22 situation. I mean, this is just getting maddening. Yeah, I mean, I think you're on to something, Nick, like as to why, you know, what is the reason for why the Giants are losing these games, these close games? Everyone talked last year about how much progress they made under Joe Judge. But meanwhile, no one really considered that they lost a lot of close games under Joe Judge, a lot of close games. And the four of six wins they had against Joe Judge are against quarterbacks who are no longer starting in the NFL. That shows me nothing. 
If you beat if four of your six wins, which are not much to begin with, and I never felt was as much progress as people said it was to begin with, or against quarterbacks no longer playing in the NFL, it doesn't show me much. And for all the momentum that you're supposed to get from that Week 17 win against Dallas, everybody talks about it's a culture-building win. You can take it into the into the regular season. Am I allowed to say that? Am I allowed to call phony on this now, Nick? Because they're 0-3, and so clearly that momentum did not carry over to the next season. They have not had a hard schedule yet. 0-3 against mediocre Washington that has a terrible defense, clearly this year, as evidenced by their first three games. Bridgewater's Broncos, which should be solid, but I doubt they're going anywhere crazy. And this horrific Falcons team. And I'm sorry to say that if any Falcons fans listen in. Maybe they'll prove me wrong, but I'm pretty sure this team's going to win four, five, six games, this Falcons team. And one of them will be against the Giants in New York on Eli Manning Celebration Day. So that momentum didn't carry over. Whatever, And it was fake momentum to begin with, in my mind, because they just had crappy wins against the Dalton Cowboys. And the season, ooh, you beat Andy Dalton at home because you needed, like, ridiculous plays at the end of that game to even have that win. Like, come on, enough. But as far as what you're saying, Nick, I think that's the crux of it. Because... (laughs) In the end, you're gonna lose games where you don't score touchdowns. Like it's just it's a simple matter of it. Like it's math. Like they scored two field goals today and one touchdown. How many games are you gonna win in the NFL when you only score one touchdown? And you could blame it on whoever you want to blame it on, but I think something we've discussed throughout on this podcast is true. It's part philosophical, but it's not just Garrett's philosophy. I think that's what we're uncovering this year. This is also Joe Judge's philosophy. There was a lot of BS, not BS, but there was a lot of hopeful, I'll call it, hopeful speculation last year that, you know, Judge was only calling games like this for reason X, Y, and Z. But now we're 19 games into this. There's no more speculation. There's no more excuses for how he's calling games. He's very consistent with how he's called games. And philosophically speaking, the Giants want to drive down the field, like uh, matriculate offense, as you called it on the podcast (laughs) with, with Matt Harmon, matriculate offense down the field. But how is that a good strategy when your red zone offense is the worst in the NFL? It makes no sense. Look yourself in the mirror. Understand you don't have an offensive line to have a good red zone offense. Understand right now your quarterback is not a great red zone quarterback. That's the fact of the matter. There's nothing more to say to that. Yeah, you added some some red zone, red zone weapons back to the offense and Barkley returning in Galladay. But none of that matters when you don't have a great red zone quarterback and even worse, an offensive line in the red zone. Because safeties are playing up. It's the fact of the matter in the NFL. So try to create offensive touchdowns in other ways from 30 to 25 to longer yards out. But that's just simply not something... The Giants do often in the game. They attempted, I think they had one pass play of 20 plus yards in this game. It was that beautifully layered ball by Jones to CJ Board with very little separation. So just a nice dime drop over the right shoulder, as perfect as that ball could have been thrown. But that's like the only shot they took downfield. And it's just like, it's maddening to see this go week after week after week where they're really like, putting themselves in a position to try to win a specific way by matriculating offense. And like, as I go back on this game, Nick, I'm like, I felt like the Giants dominated this game. And I, looking back, I'm like, maybe they didn't as much. I mean, the final stats don't show it as well because of that last drive where the Falcons did pick up like 70 to 80 yards, a lot off of that broken tackle by Cordell Patterson, a lot off of Jabril Peppers just being absolutely embarrassed in my mind in coverage against Pitts. Yes, we love Pitts. We we were huge on him in the draft, but Peppers looked terrible on that play to be completely completely honest with you. Um, and so a lot of the yardage came from that drive. But if you take that drive out, the Giants had a lot more yards than the Falcons, a lot more first downs, better time of possession. And they lost the game because none of that stuff matters when you don't score touchdowns. And the way this offense is set up right now, they're not 
in a position to score touchdowns. And it sucks because we saw Jones connect on big plays in 2019 for touchdowns. But if you don't take enough shots, you're not going to have enough big plays. And I think it's as simple as that. I want to ask you another question, Nick, because I have to bring it up. I don't want to say it's a breaking point for me, Nick, but I'm very, very close to the breaking point with Joe Judge. I got to be honest with you. He talked a huge game. He's great at talking to the press. At first, there were some things I really liked specifically about him. I liked that he brought over the New England Patriots uh, way of coverage, the way of you know teaching coverage specifically, though that seems to go by the wayside this year because the coverage hasn't been great. I'm not going to blame him for that. I don't know. We have to take a deeper look at that in the All-22. That's what it's for. But he talked a big game about being an aggressive coach, Nick. And he's faced with a fourth and three at the Falcons' 39-yard line. He punts the ball. Thankfully, because it didn't happen. He made this decision five to six times last season. And mo- not most, but some of those times, it was like a disaster. It went in a touchback. There was at least one or two touchbacks. This one was downed inside the five. And yet, Falcons then moved the ball to the exact spot where they would have taken over if they missed a fourth and three, which they probably wouldn't have in my mind. Everyone's like, what offense? You trust this offense to get a fourth and three? Yeah, I do, actually, because guess what? You can run zone read, and it's almost a guarantee. You could. The, the Giants were picking up offense all game. Daniel Jones' was ball placement was excellent this game. They could have picked up three yards. Rub it out. There's plenty of ways to pick up three effing yards. And if not, the Falcons end up with the ball exactly where they ended before they punted. Literally nothing was gained by punting. Nothing. There was nothing gained, and there would have been nothing lost by going for it. But you could have gained something. You could have gained a first down, which could have led to a touchdown. You could have gained a first down, which at worst would have led to a field goal. The Giants lost the game by three points. And that, to me, was a glaring mistake by Joe Judge. But not only mistake. They somehow end up with zero timeouts by the final drive. How the hell is it every week the Giants don't have any second-half timeouts with this coach? Every single freaking week, they're led to this position where they don't have any second-half timeouts. Challenging plays, he's not winning. Whatever it may be, they're not prepared after a long first down. They have to burn a timeout out it's consistent week after week with this guy and most of all if you preach if you preach aggressiveness you have to be aggressive he's not a bill belichick disciple to me he's a bill belichick phony to me right now and i'm not off on judge i'm not out on judge it's not my breaking point i said it's close it's not there but there the victory laps taken on joe judge this offseason were just simply false and at this point man at 0 three i believe he's firmly on the hot seat because unless something crazy happens and, you know, we can look into this in a second, teams that have gone 0-3 and made the playoffs from a percentage standpoint, but unless something crazy happens, the Giants are looking likely at a no-playoff season, and I don't know how you bring, I, I don't know how you bring Gettleman back, that should be obvious at this point, but if a new GM comes in, like, where did, what happens with Judge at that point? So, I want to get your take on where you're at with Judge at this point. Yeah, we don't want a Jets John Idzig situation <laughs> where yeah. uh, you have Rex Ryan and then they bring in John Idzig and it's just an awkward relationship between the coach and the general manager. I'm not out on Judge, but I really don't like this uber conservative nature. I'm sure you probably saw the Surrender Index tweet about that pun. Yeah, I tweeted that one out. Yeah, for those who didn't see it, Surrender Index is basically a uh, it's a Twitter account that follows basically every punt, and they have some sort of algorithm or formula to determine how cowardly certain punts are. <laughs> well, this is their tweet, quote, New York Giants decided to punt to Atlanta from the Atlanta 39 on fourth and three with 629 remaining in the third while losing six to seven, period. 
With a surrender index of 69.9, this punt ranks at the 100th percentile of cowardly punts of the 2021 season and the 99.6th percentile of all punts since 1999. It was a cowardly punt. It was a very cowardly situation. Now, I will say that I understand the fact that the Giants were down two of their receivers. I understand the fact that they... The defense was playing solidly, I believe, up until that point. But you are on the Atlanta 39. You need to be aggressive there. You cannot punt the football. And you said it earlier in the podcast, Dan. We saw this a lot last year. And you voiced it a lot on this podcast. And it rarely ever works out for the Giants. So, I mean, that just doesn't sit well with me. It also doesn't really sit well with me. That third and three play or whatever it was. Yeah, the third and three play before that was basically two go routes and then a quick in route. There's just nowhere to check the football down. And that's just more of a product of Jason Garrett and uh, his play calling per se, which, I mean, I I really want to get to the All-22 before I go in on Jason Garrett because it did seem like there were some creative play calls throughout the game. But at the end of the day, your offense scored one freaking touchdown. I kind of wanted to pitch this to you, Dan. Do you believe that the Giants, if this continues to to fall off the rails, do you think Mara would ever approve uh, moving on from Jason Garrett midseason? I think it would come down to Judge. If Judge wanted that to happen, I think he might approve of that in season. Uh, It's tough to say, though. Like He has such a close relationship with Garrett that he'd have to be – he'd have to, you know – look himself in the mirror and be like, I'm going to fire a close friend in season, something we don't do often. Like Giants are not a team that fires coaches in season almost ever. Let, let alone, you know, whether that be a head coach, offensive coordinator, defense coordinator, it's not unprecedented. It's not something they've never done. I'm pretty sure actually I'd have to look back. I got to be honest with you, Nick. I don't have the history off the top of my head. If the Giants have ever fired a coordinator in season i'm trying to like rack my brain now as i speak which is never easy (laughs) to try to figure out like any coordinators in my lifetime and i'm talking the big ones the offensive coordinator defensive coordinator head coach like the big three if any of have been fired in season i know it's not something they want to do um wait they fired mcadoo in season didn't they yeah they fired mcadoo and they fired mcadoo in season and and reese but that goes a little high yeah the gm that was it's, I don't want to say that was an outlier, but it really was because that was basically only because of the outrage by the fans um, over the Eli Manning benching for Geno Smith. As we've said before on the podcast, and I stand firmly by, John Mara is an owner that gives into fan pressure early and often, and it's one of his biggest flaws as an owner. I actually don't think, and this is for another podcast, that Mara is as bad an owner as other people do think on Giants Twitter. I don't think he's a good, doing a good job. No, I'm not saying that. But the really bad ones are the ones who don't spend any money at all and are like $80 million under the cap every year and are just simply using their franchise as a way to make money. He's not that at all. He spends like crazy. So that's like that's how you get to the really bad range. He's obviously not in the good range, but one of his biggest flaws to me is that he gives into fan pressure a lot. This offseason, he gave the okay to Gettleman to dump all their cap space into this offseason, which again, me and you were on board with during the time, but now looking at it now, like... I don't want to say hindsight is 2020, but I'm not like I'm thinking right now that we may have been off on that, Nick, because this team's 0-3 and they've put all their eggs in the basket with this current roster. Guys like Adoree Jackson and Logan Ryan, which, by the way, at the time I did make sure to mention the time of that signing, I was skeptical of that one. And if you go look back at the podcast, I said it there. Also said I was a bit skeptical of the 22 plus for Leonard. But in the end, I was not like totally against because I feel like they kind of had to do it. But 
they this is it now. Like this, they've dumped into this core. So like these guys have to stay healthy now for years because again, they've also like taken some of their cap hits and pushed it into next year because they wanted to free up cap space for this year. They did that with restructures for Shepard with Logan Ryan, which means they can't cut Shepard next year, even if he's injured all year this year and he's older and he's 29 or 20, 30 going into next year. They can't cut Logan Ryan, who's going to be on the wrong side of 30 going into next year. These guys have to, these are the core and they now have to be part of their core. And so like giving into fan pressure, you know, you wanted to upgrade, find a receiver for Jones. You had to find out, you know, all these things that they did, all these signings, it puts them in a precarious position moving forward, Nick, at this point, uh, because <laughs> this team doesn't look anywhere close to winning a Super Bowl. I mean, not even the homerest of the homers would say that right now. At this point, it's not even fair to say they look close to making the playoffs right now. And this is it. Like, there's no, they have the draft picks, which is great. They have a lot of draft capital, but they don't really have any cap to spend. And they're going to have to make tough decisions and move on from players that they didn't, you know, that might not be the best players to move on from because they're still stuck paying Logan Ryan's and, and Sterling Shepherds and of the world, and they're allocating Aaron Donald money to Leonard Williams, but Leonard Williams doesn't take over any games. So it's a long-winded way of saying like, I don't think he'll fire him in season, but I don't even know what to make of it because he's given into fan pressure before, so maybe he'll give into the fan pressure again. Is guess what I would say, Nick. This team needs some sort of spark, Dan, and I'm not advocating for a firing of anybody or anything like that, but they need some sort of spark because they can't mount any kind of winning football, consistent football, disciplined football. Everything that Joe Judge preaches, they are not mounting and they're not displaying that on the field. Joe Judge consistently, Dan, goes up in front of the podium, says we're getting better day after day. Ex-players getting better. Evan Ingram's getting better. And then we see the same mistakes. We see the fumble from Evan Ingram. We see these same mishaps from this team, this undisciplined play. That's just inexcusable at this point. And I'm and going back to pouring the money into this season, I'm fine with that. That was an aggressive move by our ownership, but you had to make that move in that situation if you were going to retain Dave Gettleman and go forward with Daniel Jones as your quarterback. You had to surround this kid with some weaponry, and they did. And you know what? He hasn't necessarily maximized the weaponry, but he still looks good despite that, which is definitely a positive for Daniel Jones, who we will talk about in a little bit. I think Daniel Jones, despite the fact that the Giants are 0-3, looks far better than what I expected. If you would have told me three weeks ago the Giants right. were going to be 0-3, you know what I'm saying? But I'm fine with the aggressiveness, and I know you are too to an extent, to, to pour money into a Dory Jackson and Kenny Galladay and actually try to win this season because the Giants were in this specific situation with Dave Gettleman as their general manager. If they weren't going to fire him, the only way to keep him and to see if this is going to work is to spend all that money in this offseason if you were going to keep him. They made that decision to keep him, so now they spent the money, and now they're even in a bigger hole because the team is not performing on the football field. Yeah, and and you know you're right, Nick, because I'm not gonna not gonna go back and change my entire outlook on the situation. Like we wanted them to spend, we wanted them like you can't cry over spilled milk. The ones that really, the ones I'm not as sure about. I was never sure about the Ryan. I didn't like that resign yeah. to begin with. I never like resigning a player uh, who's on the wrong side of third, going on the wrong side of thirty. I know all the bull, not bullshit, but I'll, I'll call it the overstated stuff about like the locker room presence and all that crap. It doesn't matter if he's not going to like, he didn't look good today. Let's be honest about the situation. He did not have a good game. There were plays. He could big plays. He could have made to change this game that he did not make. He doesn't really do the dropped interception. It's not like you can match him up on Kyle Pitts when, when, when Jabril Peppers is struggling because he doesn't have that kind of game to him. So he's not like he offers some, 
He's he's not a bad player. He's a solid player. But will he be a solid player next year when they can't get out of his contract because they, you know, kick the cap can there? Same thing goes for Shepard. Now that he's hurt again, like will Shep and I love Shep. We love Shep. He's hurt every year now, and it's early in the season every year, and then it's lingering all year. And now he's going to go into age thirty soon. And it's like they kick that cap can too. And then the Leonard stuff is like. <laughs> you knew when Dave traded for him, if he ever had a really good season, he was going to get the bag. Like, that's just how Dave is. And he's got to play. It's not that he's playing bad, but like, you have to play a lot better when you're taking up two salaries. Like, you're making 22 against the cap, and that's only getting worse because they front loaded all that, too. So they're kicking that cap again. We're looking at like $25 million cap bits for this dude in the coming years. And he's not, <laughs> you need to be, you need to be taking over games when you're making that kind of cap. And you simply need to be taking over games. That's where it's at right now. And like, he's not taking over games. He's not playing bad. He's not taking over games. Today, against an Atlanta Falcons offensive line that's been struggling all season long, I was expecting Leonard Williams to be one of the best players in the field. In your opinion, Nick, was he one of the best players on the field? No, he wasn't. You hardly saw him. And that can't happen because that just never happens with Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald, you never see that happen with. And like, not to compare the two, but you kind of have to when you look at their cap hits. Like, I'm looking at Aaron Donald's cap hit right now. It's $27.8 million. That's Let's take a look at Leonard Williams's cap hit now that the Giants have pushed all his cap back by trying to create cap space from this year. We'll take a look in a second. I don't want to hold up the podcast here completely, but, like, it's comparable. Like, next year, we're looking at a $26.5 million cap hit for the next season. $34 million in dead cap, a.k.a. no chance to cut him. This is it. And like, it is what it is. It's fine. But then play like that. And otherwise they're screwed because there's no getting out of this contract. The same thing with Ryan, same thing with Shepard. They have to be healthy. They have to play well because that's the basket they put it in. Same with the Dory Jackson. Galladay as well, who I thought played well. And I, I'm Galladay was the one signing. I was like, give me that any day, every day, because I like his game a lot. I, he'll get better. Obviously, it's like he's not getting the opportunities we want. Like, I, don't, I don't understand how you have three games of Kenny Galladay and there's like one. They took what? One vertical to him. One vertical shot, like one real vertical shot against the Washington football team. Where are the deep post balls that you lay up to Galladay? Where the hell are those chances in this offense? Run a yeah, Mills concept yeah, and lay a ball. Yeah, are you saying Galladay or Colin Johnson? I'm sorry. I, I, I'm yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Colin, Colin Johnson is like the arbitrary play for Galladay. And we'll talk about Colin Johnson because I liked what I saw. And he's he fits really well with Daniel Jones' specific skill set, I think. And, you know, and I don't even want to get into maybe if he's an arbitrary play for $18 million against the cap cheaper. But, you know, it's just there's so many question marks right now. And I want to ask you this, Nick. Since um, 1990. There have been 152 teams that have started 0-3. Only four of them, 2.6% of these 152 teams, have made the playoffs. In your mind, so obviously, if you're going to make the playoffs, that means you have to be an outlier. In your mind, do the Giants have the feel of an outlier team? No. And that's crazy, man. They don't. Because... And I have a problem with that, Nick. I really do because they pumped so – they're spending up to the top four teams right now. They pumped so much cap into this team. They've let Gettleman go on three free agent spending sprees. One was a mini spree where he got Bradbury, Martinez, and I forget the other, Rogan Ryan. But then they had two sprees. He gave him a spree in 2018. Go out there. Make Nate Solder the highest paid offensive tackle in NFL history. Sign Patrick Omame, who you watched two games of film on and fell in love with for some dumbass reason. The guy's out of the NFL, and you're thinking this guy does 
deserves a $14 million contract. Tell me that you still think Jonathan Stewart has a lot left in the tank and, al- and allocate dead cap space there. Throw some more dead cap at Antoine Bethea at 38 years old. Have your spree. And then he comes back and they give him another spree this offseason. That's three. There's two full sprees, one mini spree, and four offseasons from free agency. To go along with the most draft capital by far of any GM, and it's not even close when you factor in the Beckham trade and all their top draft picks. And this is the team, a team that we don't think can be an outlier, a team that has a 2.6% chance to make the playoffs. That's unbelievable, man. Like, I don't even know where to start with who deserves the blame at this point. It's obviously the GM's horrific. I've said this for a long time. I hope that this debate is finally over. I don't understand at this point what anyone could say to defend this guy. I'm lost. I'm lost. I still see it with some idiots in the... I'm sorry. I didn't mean to call you idiots. I still see it with some misinformed people. That's the nicest way to say what the obvious truth is in my mentions. But at this point, there's no defending Dave Gettleman for what's going on. But it goes beyond that, Nick. And it's the coaching as well. And it's the players and it's everything like that. But, you know, I don't know, man. I just, I I feel like I'm at a loss for where they're at right now. I understand it. The 2018 spending spree... I can give some leeway towards because you're trying to rebuild a roster that didn't necessarily have a lot of talent on it when you adopted it. I didn't like the Jonathan Stewart signing at all, but I get it from the sense that you wanted to bring in a veteran that you know personally who can kind of groom Saquon Barkley. But everything since then has been an issue from Dave Gettleman. He hasn't drafted all that well. A lot of these picks have not ended up hitting. Guys like Will Hernandez have significantly underwhelmed. And you look at this roster now, a roster that I think we would agree on paper looks better than what is playing on the field, but they're not getting it done. And this is a win-oriented business. This is a results business. It doesn't matter how good you look on paper. You need to win football games. And the Giants have not won football games for what seems like an eternity right now. So you have to point the blame at Dave Gettleman, who assembled this roster. You have to look at Joe Judge and realize that he's not getting it done right now. This conservative nature of Joe Judge is holding this team back. The offensive coordinator cannot generate a consistent offense that is reliable and can be counted on. I mean, the Falcons, like I said at the top of the show, gave up 40 points the last two weeks. The Giants scored 14 at home against them. This team is probably picking in the top five, Dan, the Falcons, and they were just able to stifle the Giants' offense. And again, the Giants' offense was able to move the ball at some points, but then they just bogged down when it matters, inefficient when it matters. This defense, actually, and I know I hate the fact that they surrendered that 15-play, 72-yard drive at eight eight minutes off the clock that put Atlanta tied with the New York Giants, and then they gave up the seven-play drive on that backdoor screen to Cordero Patterson to start that drive that went for like 28 yards down the stretch. When it mattered, they crumbled, but they forced how many punts? I want to say they forced like seven punts out of the first nine and then had a turnover and then just one touchdown out of the first nine Falcons drives or something like really, really quality defense. You know what I mean? When it mattered, it didn't matter at all because they couldn't get it done either. So it's like whenever the offense is good, the defense is going to suck. And then when the defense needs to be relied on, they're going to suck. It's like they're going to lose no matter what it seems like. I feel jaded at the moment. And I'm sure a lot of Giants fans do. This is a very Jet fan-like feeling that's going on right now amongst Giants fans. Yeah, I mean, the Giants are the Jets right now. 
It's a simple matter of fact. They're not, it's actually, they're not as bad as the Jets, which is no, uh, my not. dad and I were talk, <laughs> talking about this today. They're, they're at least they're not as bad as the Jets and they're not as bad as the Jets, but ultimately what does that get you? Nothing because the Jets have a ton of cap space and a very healthy cap situation moving forward. And I personally think they're better off long-term in that sense than the Giants are Unless you know, Ryan and Shepard and all these older guys, they paid a lot of money to, they can't get out of continue to play at a high level because they don't have a core to replace right now. The Giants, this is it. Um, but as far as what you're saying, like, I hope that people aren't blaming this loss on the defense. The defense held the Falcons to 17 points. You should win football games when you hold the team to 17 points, especially when one of those was, you know, buoyed by an interference. It wasn't interference on pits by Rogan Ryan. It definitely was, but like, you know, penalty laden drive. Really, the issue here to me is not the defense. The defense, when you hold the team to 17 points, why are you getting blamed? Because it happened at untimely times, because it happened at the end on a missed tackle to Cordell Patterson and on a route that Drill Pepper simply doesn't have it in his skill set to cover Kyle Pitts on. And by the way, the trade's looking worse and worse by the day. I called it a win at the time because Beckham's nothing anymore, but like at the time, Beckham still did have trade value. I know not many teams were in the market for them, but a year ago before that moment, when they weren't willing to trade him, the Rams offered two first rounds, according to some sources. I don't know that for a fact, but I'm only really basing that on the fact that the Rams have been so aggressive trading their first round picks year after year after year, and they even made a first round trade, uh, a first round pick trade for a receiver. Brandon Cooks. I think that that was the case. Likely, he was he was going to get one and oh, two ones. Not that it would have mattered. Dave Gettleman probably would have used it on an interior defensive lineman that doesn't make much of an impact in the pass game, and some like I don't know, some corner who's off the team, or some running back, or some guard who's mediocre. I don't know what else has he done. A, a tackle who's not even playing right now, and Matt Perry. Like it wouldn't have probably gone the right way, but like Peppers is supposed to be the big hit in that deal, I guess, and. I don't know what Pepper's future is right now because we loved him last year and he's not playing well this year. I don't know if it's confidence because he's not playing as many snaps, but the Pepper situation is a really important one moving forward because the Giants don't really have the cap space to pay him after kicking the cap can. And he's ultimately not really looking as much like a part of the future that I originally thought he would be. And that that surprises me too, Nick. But my main point here is don't blame the defense for giving up 70 points. You want somebody to blame, blame the offense and blame the coaching. The coaching for not being aggressive, both the coordinating and the play calling, and both Joe Judge with his decision making, and the coaching for stupid, careless penalties that seem to, and wasting timeouts. Seems like he's just supposed to be a disciplined coach, right? This dude is like praising, oh, everybody's praising him. Joe Judge, he built this culture. It's discipline. Discipline. They have the dumbest penalties week after week that kill drives. Discipline, they give up a holding penalty to Nate Solder to kill their last drive. Discipline, they're burning timeouts left and right. There's no discipline on this team right now. Discipline's actually one of their worst traits right now. One of the biggest reasons why they're 0-3. Not one of the biggest reasons, sorry. A reason why they're 0-3. And that's on the coach. That's on this dreamboat Joe Judge. He's not a dreamboat. Who the hell is praising this guy right now? I hope not any fans because he doesn't deserve it right now. I'm not out on Judge. I still like the idea of Judge. I hope Judge can be what he's saying he could be. But man, I don't know if these players aren't going to tune him out at 0-3 in a dead season when he's trying to make them run laps at practice and do all these stupid things that you used to do in high school. I just don't know, man. I, I never was huge on that to begin with, and I don't know if it's going to work when they're 0-3. Yeah, winning is the cure. It's the deodorant for all of the stink that comes off of bad football teams. And the Giants are a bad football team right now, and they are 0-3. So that means they have not won. So if the message stays the same with Joe Judge, 
and he keeps trying to be a little bit more of a domineering type of practice figure, which some people label him as. I don't think it's as extreme as maybe people nationally believe. But that can definitely wear thin, though. That can definitely wear thin when you're not winning football games. And, I mean, we've already seen, and this is, you know, this this happens on the sidelines a lot. Like, people blow up and they yell at each other, coaches and players. But last week in primetime football, we saw Kenny Galladay blow up on Jason Garrett. And now you go at home against a team that the Giants and their players know full well do not have a good defense, and you mount 14 points. And we can make excuses all day that no Darius Slate and no Stone Shepard got it, yes, but you still couldn't adjust. Where's the resiliency there? It wasn't there. And you still only put up 14 points against the Atlanta Falcons without their best defensive player in A.J. Terrell. So, I mean, sometimes you just got to spare me of the excuses, and you just got to go out there and perform your professional football players, your professional football coaches. Unfortunately, the Giants have not been able to do that. Despite the fact they moved the football, man. They had 346 yards in this game. They outgained Atlanta. They had more time of possession than Atlanta. They had more first downs than Atlanta. When it mattered, they couldn't get it done and that on both sides of the football. And that seems to be the trend with this 2021 team. It's unfortunate. The season's not over, though, technically. I mean, like, Giants fought into a playoff position last year because of their division. It's not impossible. The Eagles and Cowboys fall off. The, the Washington football team obviously doesn't look like a great team this year. Their defense is terrible. But 2.6%, that's the number of teams that have made the playoffs after starting 0-3. 2.6%. So the Giants will have to be an outlier. This is worse than a one-outer. I'm bringing back the poker terms. That's how bad I'm reeling here, Nick. I know. I've re- I've since long since retired speaking poker on this podcast. I think I've gone like three months without a poker reference, but don't quote me on that. And someone can fact-check me and probably show me that I was wrong on that. But it's been a while since I made a poker reference. This is worse yeah, let me just make sure the math is right in my head. Yes, this is worse than hitting a one-outer on the flop. And for those of you who don't know, a one-outer is this. Let's say you have pocket tens in your hand. Your opponent is pocket kings. The flop is king, ten, two. You get all your chips in the middle of the table. You turn your cards over. You have three tens. What an amazing hand. What? He has three kings. Your only chance to win is if a 10 hits the board. This is a one-outer. They almost never happen, but they have happened, and I've actually been hit by a brutal one-outer for a very large pot, some that I won't speak of on the podcast for uh, various reasons. I want to protect myself. I don't know if it's okay to do something like that, but this is a one-outer the Giants need to hit, so let's, I guess, hope they hit it, but if not, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered, but Let's take a break from the long-term big picture discussions. Talk about individual players, individual plays from this game, individual um, you know decisions uh, that made this game, and things that we can take away that are positives or negatives moving forward. Before we do that, I want to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Giants football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find New York Giants tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, 
TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick.com and use the promo code BANTER. That's TickPick.com slash BANTER. If you use that today, you can save $10 on your first order of the Giants tickets that you desire. Please check that out. It's TickPick.com slash banter. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Nick, let's talk some individual plays, players, plays, concepts, things of that nature. I did agree with you. I do agree with you. I think Garrett showed some fun stuff in the first half. And I think like his biggest issue, I stand by this, is not always coming up with creative plays in a game plan. It's more so his general philosophy. But, and I love the throwback play. I think the Giants would use that a lot more often personally. Sometimes I think that should be thrown back. And then, the, and I know Kadarius Tony has thrown passes in the past. He should throw a pass. But otherwise, I'm fine with just getting him in space. It felt like the Giants did a good job getting Kadarius Tony in space early. We went into this game hearing from Ian Rappaport that they were going to try to mix Kadarius Tony more into the game plan after a great week of practice. Shepard went down, Slayton went down, and then we don't see Tony at all. We see CJ Board and Colin Johnson. Despite Tony, in my mind, and I don't know if he maybe made a mental error we have to see on the film or the coaches could tell us, but despite what I saw on the broadcast, 
him having a good game. He was really good in space when they did a throwback play. And on that third down conversion, that's not a third down conversion by where Daniel Jones placed that ball. That's a third down conversion because Tony has insane contact balance, stop and start ability, and was able to readjust his body and then restart his momentum and create enough yards to pick up that first down. I was incredibly disappointed by the Giants' decision to play to not play Tony a lot after the injuries to the wide receiver. What did you make of all that? to see more, but I'm going to trust. I mean, I, this is, I guess, uh, should I trust the Giants? But I'm going to trust the Giants with their personnel decisions at that point as to maybe Kadarius Tony isn't fully there with the playbook and he's only out there for certain scripted plays because of all the time he missed. Then you look at Colin Johnson, you're like, dude, this guy's been here for like a cup of coffee and he's getting <laughs> out there. Yeah, but uh, maybe it's just they like Colin Johnson because he's a better, more physical type of blocker too. I'm not really 100 percent certain, but again, I w- I'm going to wait. For the all twenty-two to see that, I thought Jason Garrett did a solid job with the with the move the pocket type plays, play action on first down, which is something that we've talked about a lot. He he likes to do that, take those shots on first down. Although I feel like there's not a lot of stuff breaking over the middle of the field. A lot of the time, it's just go, it's just go routes, and I don't always love that, especially if it's a too high safety look. But we need the all twenty-two to break that down as well. But those little. Screen passes to Saquon Barkley were nice to see to try to get him into space, get him going. He finished the game with six catches on seven targets for 43 yards. Not None of them really broke for, for long plays or anything like that, but it did seem like he also had some creative play calling near the, near the goal line for Evan Ingram, but it ended up getting tipped at the line of scrimmage, I think by Dante Fowler. I think that was in the first half. It looked like a little like tight end leak type of play that could have actually ended up going for a touchdown if Evan Ingram secured it, but it ended up getting knocked down. So it seems like Garrett has these creative play calls at times, but overall, he doesn't consistently move the football and he always tries to do what we kind of complain about on this podcast, Dan, and that is call three plays to get the first down if it's not a play action shot, which he does tend to do, as we have said. And I I don't know, man. I I just feel like every time the Giants get into opponents' territory, specifically when they start entering field goal range, that's where they really struggle to continue to move the football. And yes, defenses, they bog down a little bit, but it's not even just because they're inefficient throwing the ball. It's because of mistakes too, man. It's because of the false starts. It's because of the holding penalty, especially if the Giants take a shot on first down miss, and then you know they're going to run the ball on second down. They end up running the football. They, They get maybe one yard or they lose three yards, and then Daniel Jones is in a third and long situation. Yeah, you're right. And as far as Garrett goes, like we broke this down a little bit last week, and I think Kurt Warner did an excellent job breaking it down when he did, I think, 18 minutes breaking down film on Giants-Washington game. We talk about the overall issue with Garrett. It's the, it's the philosophy. It's to, try, it's to try to matriculate in offense, and I keep using that word because it's funny, uh, you know, over 10 plays with, with six first downs and then just find a way to be efficient in the red zone and, you know, get a first down with three plays. But there's also, like, conceptual there's conceptual reasons for why this offensive system is bad. And one of the main conceptual reasons that Kurt Warner did an excellent job of breaking down, and you just alluded to, Nick, so I want to bring back up, is that he does a horrific job utilizing the middle of the field. And what makes that so painful for me, Nick, is that what we've seen over the course of Daniel Jones's career is that he's really accurate with his ball placement, and he could really rip balls into that middle intermediate area of the field. So I really feel like, and we even saw this with Shermer a lot with Jones, like, it's 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 doubly bad for the Giants that this is not his fault. You know, this is not his. This is not a big part of his system and his play calling. His play calling and his system, Garrett. That he's not. You know, his system doesn't really designed to utilize the middle of the field. 
I'd probably argue that any system that's not designed to utilize the middle of the field is a horrific system. It's probably the case in today's NFL. Like, obviously, the Chiefs aren't doing that. Obviously, the Bills are utilizing the middle of the field, and the Chiefs are is what I meant. Um, but specific for Jones, I'm really worried about it just not being good for him specifically. And yet, Jones had a pretty good game despite it. But, like, man, it's just it's it's tough to watch Jason Garrett, man. And I'm sure we'll feel the same way on film. I want to get your take on what you saw from Colin Johnson because he seems to be a nice surprise here, a good find. What did you make of Johnson's play today? Colin Johnson was always a big-bodied receiver who likes to attack the football, has strong hands, and who's really physical and tough at the catch point. And he showed a couple of those traits today. I mean, he ended up with, what, 51 yards, five catches, seven targets, using his frame to box defenders away from the football and protect Daniel Jones when he throws the ball. I mean, you have Kenny Galladay out there, another big body receiver. You have Colin Johnson. It's a way to kind of get mismatches against teams that don't necessarily have six foot one or six foot two cornerbacks because both those guys are towers. They're six four, six foot five. I think he can provide a solid amount of a like a poor man's Kenny Galladay if something were to happen to Galladay, but you can use them both simultaneously on the field and gain that size advantage, which, as you said at the top of the show, Dan, bodes well for Daniel Jones because Jones has that proclivity to target one-on-one matchups and big receivers who win contested catch balls typically will do well with someone of Daniel Jones's skill set who has no fear to put that ball up in the air and trust his receiver to come down with it. Also, like Kenny Galladay in this game, he did a good job winning at the line of scrimmage and then presenting his body for slants and skinny posts and routes like that. I think Colin Johnson can also do that. He's pretty flexible for a big guy. He's not stiff like Laquan Treadwell or something. So I do believe that there could be a place for him in this offense as like a number three receiver, bring him on, use his blocking, and then also just use his contested catch ability, which we saw a little bit today. Yeah, and I want to caveat this by saying I tend to get overly excited about these fringe receivers in the past so just know to know that before I say the next thing but Colin Johnson the player that me and Nick talked about two years ago during our draft coverage for those of you who don't know and are new to the Big Blue Banter podcast in my opinion we stand out the most during draft season in those in those you know six to eight weeks before the draft where we're doing podcasts every day breaking down prospects going into the film on these prospects really getting in the deep weeds of that and bringing on a lot of good draft guests who are really helpful in an to us and to you guys. And so Colin Johnson was somebody we we thought stood out as a sleeper and someone we wanted them to target on day three of the Giants. They end up getting him now via free agency. He's someone who I feel like is similar in some ways to uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones in that he was held back a bit by his role and by his quarterback play at the collegiate level. What Nick said, I think, is the real important trait here that stands out. For a player of his size, I think he has surprising flexibility, which really helps in my mind for these receivers. He's not stiff, and that allows him to box out, allows him to get into spots for contested catch situations he made an incredible catch today on a, on a pretty poorly thrown or an okay thrown ball by jones somewhat behind him unbelievable catch that one catcher but he knows the one if you watch the game but i think the key for johnson here and why i like him on the field with kenny galladay is that he's really good fit it, we say for jones but i kind of want to correct myself at least in my opinion of it nick i think it's less of he's a good fit for jones and more of He's a good fit for this Jason Garrett system, you know? We're going to be running all this stick crap. We're running all this stupid curls and sticks and routes designed to stop at the sticks. 
he's a good, it's good to have guys like him and Kenny Galladay on the field because we have to throw these routes anyway. Better to throw them to him than guys like Slayton, you know, and Shepard and whoever, those little guys. Just throw it to somebody who can box out. You don't need much separation when you're throwing stick route. You're not going to get much separation because <laughs> defenses at this point have 19 games worth of film on this Garrett crap system and they're going to just sit at the sticks like we see week after week. So, like, at this point, like, essentially, like, these are the guys you kind of want on the field, I feel like. So, uh, I'm pretty excited about him. I think he can help out if Slayton and Shepard, uh, you know, those injuries do linger. I do too. I, I do too. He adds a different element than someone like CJ Board, who I think is a fine player, but he's just not a uh, huge difference maker. He's somebody who runs okay routes. He's a, he's a good blocker, despite the fact that he was flagged last week. But Colin Johnson, with the with the traits that he has, he, he definitely has more upside, in my opinion. We'll see the field if either of those two, as you said, miss time. But dude. How about Azizo Jolari getting his third sack in as many weeks and forcing that fumble? I mean, the kid is coming along, bro. The kid is coming along. Now, I, th- I felt like those those first two sacks in week one and two, they were a little bit of coverage, a little bit of coverage sacks. And, you know, a lot of sacks end up being covered sacks. The fact that he's able to get home in this one, he was able to force that fumble, get his hand in there. I mean, I really like what I'm seeing from Aziz. Yeah, you nailed it. Uh, I'm really liking what I'm seeing from Aziz. And yes, you can somewhat credit those first two sacks as coverage sacks. I get it. But like you said, that happens a lot in the NFL. A, B, I think there is a trait. There is a specific thing. You know, it's good to look for and good to have players who can finish those and turn them mm-hmm. into sacks rather than just pressures. That's what he showed even on those coverage sacks. But this one, I didn't think was. I, this was, I thought, his best sack by far of the season. This was a really yeah. nice sack for strip fumble. And we loved him. We thought he would translate immediately. This was kind of an easy one, I think, for Gettleman. I always used to say, like, the Bengals were the funny. Me and my dad always used to think it was so funny to watch the Bengals draft. They never traded their picks, and they always, like, ended up taking the guy who was, like, like if, you know, in your fantasy drafts, like, if you do it on paper, or if you're looking, you cross out, like, there's, like, that one player who's, like, 20 spots above the rankings, and somebody just kept not picking. They're always, they, Bengals would always, like, take that guy, and he was, like, the highest-ranked guy, and, like, it would work out a lot of times. Like, they hit on a lot of those, like, mid-round picks doing it. I felt like Aziz kind of fell into the Giants' lap a lot due to, like, the scare over the injury, which we haven't seen any concerns about yet. But this one I feel good about. I feel like Gettleman, at, at worst, will leave us with this parting gift. I'm not sure about Tony whatsoever, though I do like his talent. Uh, I, I, I'm <laughs> Let's see what happens there. But I feel like a parting gift for sure will be Aziz Ojolari. I like what I'm seeing there. And you know that, man, I mean, he's on pace for 18 sacks all right let's let's take a break of doing you know individual breakdowns on all the different players uh because we're going to do that in the all 22 podcast for those of you who don't know and are new to the podcast we have an all 22 podcast that drops every single week two of them we break down the offense we watch the coaches film for hours pouring into it we'll watch every angle of every play and then break it all down in two podcasts one of the offense and defense but this reaction podcast isn't meant to break down you know in all the nitty-gritty individual players so let's wrap this one up nick with just some rapid fire takeaways all righty let's do it yeah this offense is going to need a change possibly mid-season if they keep scoring 14 points against defenses as bad as the Atlanta Falcons. Ooh, that's a hot take. Uh, I thought I saw a glimpse of Barkley being back in the first half when he made that, uh, when he pressed the hole and then cut outside for a nice gain. Didn't see it as much in the second half. Still a bit concerned there about Barkley. I actually want to touch on that one because I wanted to talk about Saquon Barkley. And again, we will go much more into detail during the All-22 podcast, but there were a couple runs just from the broadcast, hard to tell, that I felt like Barkley was, again, leaving some yards out there. So I'm really interested to kind of see what the All-22 tells with that because it's something that 
I just feel like Saquon Barkley, that there's there's just always this little hesitation about him, and, and it just always seems like there may be holes for him to hit, but he sees it a bit too late. He tries to dance too much, and he ends up getting himself into trouble. So I'm hoping that that's not true, and it was just my kind of imagination on the broadcast because it's so damn hard to actually see the holes and to see what the running back is seeing, but the All-22 will tell that story. So, okay, so another, I don't even want to say hot take, but... This Giants defense, I think, is going to stabilize more than we've seen. I think we saw glimpses of it in this week, but it was bend, 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 don't break, don't break, don't break, break when it mattered. I think Patrick Graham is going to be able to figure this out, and we're going to see a more consistent defense than we've seen through the first three games. I concur on that one, and I'll also say this is a hot take. Not also, not all that related to the Giants. What a find by the Falcons, Cordell Patterson. I've watched him all season now because I was looking at him for fantasy. I was watching the film of them just because I was trying to invest in him fantasy last week and free agent uh, budget. I want to see how much I want to put in. This dude's good. Like they found a role for him that works and he breaks tackles at will and he creates yards after contact. This was a great find. So I less so want to blame that all the big plays he made today on the defense. And I want to give him credit for those plays. And I want to say one more thing on the Barkley thing. I think a lot of the times this was a problem for him in 2018 too. It's the vision. It's the mental processing. Barkley, to me, at this stage of his career, remains, and I hate to say this, more Chris Johnson than anything else. He is pretty much, to to me, Chris Johnson 2.0. And I don't want Chris Johnson 2.0. I want Sean Alexander. I want the Nick Chubb. And who's Sean Alexander? Nick Chubb of the world. You want to watch the best running backs in the NFL? Watch Nick Chubb run the ball. Watch Dalvin Cook run the ball. Those are, in my mind, the two best running backs in the NFL. Watch how they process plays. Watch the holes they pick. Watch how they get in and out of their cuts. Another one who I think is insanely underrated. Set up their blocks. Another one I think is insanely underrated as a runner, and only because he's so good as a receiver, it's Christian McCaffrey. I remember watching Matt Waldman break down McCaffrey's film out of Stanford and talking about how good of an actual processor he was as a running back. There was a play he made in the Thursday night game before he got hurt where he made a cut inside to set up, and the entire D, he set up the entire play that should have been nothing. And I've seen this play go for either nothing for Barkley or more likely than not, more times than not, over 50%, Barkley turned it into a three-yard loss by trying to bounce outside. He pressed the hole, he was patient, set it up, and then cut it inside for a gain of five. He's another great processor, but until Barkley makes a massive leap in that, he is, in my mind, one of the more overrated backs because he's being talked about as the best back in the NFL, but he's pretty much just Chris Johnson at this point of his career, a bigger version of Chris Johnson. But one thing that we didn't see today that I want to see more from Barkley is the power that was a big part of his game in 2018, the breaking uh, breaking tackles, breaking arm tackles, creating yards after contact. That's something that needs to come back soon. If Barkley is playing like he did today, which is almost a full-time role, they really rarely took him off the field, I need to see him create those yards after contact again, use that power like he used in his in his rookie season where he was amazing. If he wants to get back to anywhere close to a level where I'm comfortable signing him, I'll be honest with you guys and you as well, Nick, there's almost no scenario where I would want to sign Saquon Barkley to contract. But if there's any scenario, he's going to have to get a lot better as a processor and a running back. And like you said, he cannot leave yards on the field. No, he cannot. And honestly, I just pulled up Saquon Barkley's stats while you were talking from 2018. This this kid is much more of a home run hitter than a good running back. And I know that sounds bad, but 706 of his 1,307 yards from 2018 were breakaway yards. And the guy had a stuff rate of, I think he ranked 22nd in stuff rate according to this chart. So he was getting stuffed a lot more than than we expected from the sense that 
he wasn't getting four yards per carry every time he touched the ball. He was getting a negative one-yard loss, a negative two-yard loss, a one-yard gain, and then busting off a 40-yard touchdown run. So he's much more boom-bust. He's much more home run. He's your typical, I'm going to Vegas, and I'm rolling, baby, and I hope I hit <laughs> you know, 26 baloo. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh my god you're gambling. I, was, I was worried about you when you started to go down the gambling reference route in the first place nick and that did not cash in how you hoped it well would. i wanted I to say what you say you say 26 blue yeah i wanted to say black but <laughs> i went with blue really? because because yeah absolutely but the oh because 26 blue saquon barkley i got you all right well done yeah okay. yeah but i was like i, I want to say black but at the same time, it's more fitting to for blue, even though it's not a roulette color. So this this, this kid, though, going back to even his his dominant rookie season, is much more was much more of a home run hitter who actually hit home runs back then. Now he's not hitting the home runs, and he's not the type of running back to find the crevices and the holes to earn four yards consistently per carry. And that's why we keep seeing him with these stat lines of like 15 carries, averaging like 2.6, 2.7, 2.8 yards per carry when he has like a four yard run he just keeps getting stuck way too often man and and that's that's a shame but that's the reality of Saquon Barkley yeah and miss and listen when you sit there as a GM and you tell us that you're taking a gold jacket player at running back and he's still in year whatever it is for him now was 18 19 20 21 no some have been missed by injuries whatever it doesn't matter and still year four and he still has pro- big problems with mental processing his pass production he had a good rep the other day but it's still not there his route running is okay at best at this point. It may be good, and we just don't know it because they don't utilize him that way, but he's not a route runner like Christian McCaffrey or anywhere close. He's not like any of these really good route running running backs. You know, it's not it's not at that point at all. You have all these question marks. Clearly, that's not gold jacket yet. <laughs> I mean, and what did you give up? Well, you gave up the best guard in football and three second-round picks and missed me with all the crap about the Jets want to not deal with the Giants. Yeah, the Jets would have taken two instead of three. Miss me with all that crap. The Giants and Jets have made trades. The Jets took the third for Leonard Williams in the contract year, so miss me with that crap. We're not going to get back into that, but just miss me with that crap, please. And worst-case scenario, you could have taken Denzel Ward at you know at two if you really wanted to or found it. I, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it with that stuff at all. So this is just me preemptively saying all that, Nick. I needed to get that off my chest. <laughs> yeah, before we get out of here, I think we have to bring up Evan Ingram. I knew this we guy. had to. Okay, that's the last one we had to touch on, and I knew we had to. I actually have some takes on this, too. Go ahead. I want you to start, Nick, because it's definitely a more pressing topic for you. I don't know if it's a more pressing topic for me. I, I genuinely feel bad for Evan Ingram because I think this kid puts in 120% of the work all the time trying to get it done. I think he has a good head on his shoulders. I think he was a nice young man, but he's just not a good football player. And whenever he's out there, mistakes happen. And you have how many games now that we can look at and how many mistakes that have been caused by Evan Ingram, whether that be just Daniel Jones' interception that does not show up on the stat sheet for Evan Ingram or fumbles or drop passes. It happens far too often when he's out there and he's almost a net negative when he's on the field. And I hate saying that because I go back to my coaching mind. I go back to my football mind and I'm like, no, Evan Ingram is a mismatch type of player. He's somebody who should be on the football field and defenses have to pay attention to him because of his vertical speed and his separation ability. But then when the Giants put him out there and they give him an opportunity, it never, ever works. 
and it's starting to get maddening. I shouldn't say never ever because we can go back to Cincinnati. It worked against the Bengals in week 12 last year, but it really hasn't worked all that much. And him being out there has resulted in more negative plays than positive plays, it seems like. So what do we do with Evan Ingram now in his contract year? Because he does have value, but it's damn hard to get that value out there, Dan. It just is. Yeah, I mean, you nailed it, Nick. And I think at this point, I guess why it's not as pre- – I didn't mean to say pressing. It's not like the best word. I was just, What I'm more so saying is I've just kind of turned the page on Evan Ingram. I don't think it's going to work out in this specific offense. It's a terrible fit for him with Garrett. I don't love when I see this stuff. Like, it's crazy how, like, mainstream – these days with social media, I, I figured it would catch on when they made all those videos last year. Like, you know, like um, the people – like, I, I don't know which one. I think it was, like, Steph, Steffi Smalls I saw put out a video with, like, all Ingram's bad plays from last year's drops and mistakes, and someone else gets viral, it repeats, it retweets, goes all over Twitter. Now social media has it. And it, you saw the effect today. Like after his fumble, he came back on, or he came off the field, or he came back on the field to booze. And then when he was pulled off the field, cheers, like the fit, you know, like the the cheer, just because he's coming off the field. That's got a sting for him, man. It can't probably help him (laughs) from a mental error standpoint. It can't when you're not playing confidently. It's really hard to be good at anything in life when you don't have confidence, let alone playing football, a sport a skill that requires a skill like catching a ball, hand-eye coordination, things of that nature, holding on to a football after you catch it. it. Can't help to get that. And I'm not saying don't do it. Like I've had this conversation with Giants fans before. It's like, we deserve to boo, you know, like he's playing awful and we want, that's us venting our frustration. I'm totally fine with that. But I just don't think it helps at all at this point. And I think more so he's just not going to fit this Jason Garrett offense. He doesn't offer anything as a blocker. It just it sucks because I he's not a good football player. Like I'm not trying to say that. I just still feel like he could be utilized in some way, even if just as a decoy or just as a way to create space in someone's offense. Like not this offense, yeah. not an offense that doesn't maximize the middle of the field. The only offense he could be really good at is an offense that maximizes the middle of the field. But even just like little things, like try him on some tight end screens a lot, like one to two per game, where you just have him into block and then he leaks out. After you know, after you know, and you get a and you get alignment in front of him, get him that ball so he can put that second gear on. Those plays work so often in the NFL. I see the Chiefs running that play so often for success, even with someone like Travis Kelsey, who's not as big, I'm uh, not as fast. I'm sorry, and doesn't have the same kind of second gear as a player like Evan Ingram. And so, there's just so many better ways to utilize him to build his confidence and to get Giants fans off his back. But they're not going to clearly. You saw even today the ball he fumbled on was another bullshit stop route that they're running with him, which they should just take out of the playbook for him. And so, if this is the case, and that's what it seems to be, it's very rigid, rigid style with Jason Garrett here and Joe Judge here, and it's kind of just I've turned the page on on Ingram. I can understand why. I totally understand why. And I think you made a lot of good points there. I mean, he does, he is a player, like I said, that you would imagine if he goes to another team, he's going to have success. And another offensive coordinator and another coach is going to figure out a way to unlock his skill set and most of his potential. Probably not the potential that a lot of people speculated when he was drafted in the first round out of Ole Miss, but still, they could unlock some potential. Just doesn't seem like that's going to happen here in New York. And these mistakes just keep compounding on top of each other. This guy's getting booed when he comes onto the field and cheered when he walks off the field. That's got to be so demoralizing. And I think you're right. That's not going to do anything good for Evan Ingram, who the Giants are going to rely on, whether fans like it or not. It's not going to do anything good for his mental state right now as a New York Giant. But 
you can't blame the frustration because it just it's it's every it seems like every game this guy is making just inexcusable mistakes and last year he was the cause of so many mistakes that ended up costing the Giants wins so I understand the fans frustration it's just an unfortunate situation I feel like that uh, Evan Ingram has found himself in the Giants fans are in right now because this team sucks and they can't win football games and they can't get out of their own way yeah there's no doubt about it. Um, and let's wrap it up there. I mean, we could talk a lot about like what should move forward with somebody like Ingram because the Giants should obviously be at this point in my mind looking to trade a player like Ingram before the deadline that's coming up in a few weeks, probably close to a month from now. Um, because if you can get a fourth, take it. Anything less, probably not worth it in my mind. Fifths don't work out that often. I, it's fine to take a swing, though. We were talking about dart throws, so I'm actually fine taking a fifth at this point for someone like Ingram. But we'll talk. Well, unfortunately, probably have to have that talk a lot because we're talking about you know, 2.6 percent of teams that have started 0 and 3 have made the playoffs, and that's unfortunately where we're at right now with the Giants. But we'll wrap up there, everyone. Thank you again for tuning in. We know it's not easy to tune into a losing football team. We are as frustrated as you guys are. This is this is not good for us. This is not good for you guys. It's not good for anyone who wants this, who follows this team, but. We have to trudge forward because this is the roster. This is the core. No matter what, you can never change all 53 players in an offseason. So a lot of these guys here this year are going to be here next year when hopefully better times are ahead. Or maybe they make some kind of crazy run. We'll be here for that as well. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for downloading. Even if you're tuned out of the Giants, we had a lot of fans come to me. I had a lot of fans come to me today and be like, listen, man, I don't want to listen to the. I, I don't want to like relive this anymore. So I'm probably not going to listen right now, but at least for the time being, but I'll download. So even if you want to take a break from listening to the podcast and this is your last one for a little while, take a little break, please do us a favor and download every podcast that really helps us. That's what we need the most. That's what we're, we're reviewed on. That's what it all comes down to, the download button. So if you can still do that for us, that's the only thing we'll ask. And obviously the iTunes rating and reviews, we have a lot to get to there. There's actually been a, a few questions that kind of caught up. I feel like iTunes does a poor job of updating that page often. It's like, it seems like all at once I see a ton of different questions and reviews come in. Um, so we'll get to those. We'll probably do a mailbag. I've said this, but we'll get to one of them for sure. Um, but otherwise, guys, have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you Tuesday for the All-22 Breakdowns, offense and defense. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.